Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. My guest today probably holds one of the most difficult jobs in the country um, in, in, at a time when difficult jobs are the nature of things. My, my guest is a city councillor. Leonot, welcome to the IRR show. Good morning and, and good morning to your listeners. Leah, before I go into the, the, the challenges you face, which I re- read about in an article by Jill Gifford in the, in Times Live yesterday, how did you, what's been your career path that got you into this extraordinary situation? Um, yeah, actually that's quite strange. So I, I studied law. Um, I actually worked for a developer for about 10 years. I did project management, et cetera. And, and my, my inroad into politics was really the failure of city council to process applications. I saw a lot of subcontractors, you know, SMMEs close business, you know, developers having to move on to relying on loans instead of their cash balance because of the, the application process and, and all of the things going on in the city that were just taking longer and longer as years went, you know, mm. on. And um, so I decided to get involved personally, and, and it's a completely different environment to what I actually envisaged it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Before I get into that, perhaps I could take the opportunity since you've raised it. What were the sort of things you faced in, in or the people faced in in, the, in, in securing applications? Uh, was it the number of staff, the quality of the staff, the uh, energy of the staff, uh, all of the above, none of the above, management, whatever, whatever may contribute to these things? So I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, unfortunately, there was a lot of corruption. Mm-hmm. So, you know, money was making its way out in terms of refunds or application payments that weren't going to the right places. So it, it started off with rates clearance, for example, mm-hmm. was taking three days to do. Then it became six to 12 months. Now, you can imagine trying to do rates clearance when you're selling property over. You don't get paid until you've transferred. Mm, um, so, right. in essence, you're now waiting instead of three days for rates clearance in order to lodge at the deeds office. You're waiting almost a year in cases. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the calculations that were done by legal finance were taking months. Um, they went from under a week to months, sometimes over years. Your application would get stuck, for example, your building plans and, and, and cetera would get stuck at certain entities. And the city used to have a round table. So they'd have a round table once a week. Everybody would meet all the departments. They'd look at plans. They'd give their input and cetera and process things. And then it became a scenario where they would send the plans off to various departments. I remember a plan of ours getting stuck at JRA for two and a half years. Hmm. Um, it, it took me months to try and figure out who had that plan because they themselves couldn't tell me. Um, you know, the system wasn't tracking from which official to, to, you know, which entity it went to. So it, it was a combination of all of these things. And, and I think, you know, on many occasions, you know, I was, it, it was implied that if I, if I gave, you know, gifts of something or another, mm. you know, things would go quicker. And I, I refused point blank to do that. So I relied solely on relationships within the council, mm. uh, which is difficult. But yeah, I, I think it's, it, it it became exceptionally difficult for investors to invest in Joburg, and, mm. and that's what I was seeing. Mm. I'll pick up that the issue of uh, the structure and what you face within the council um, from what the different how the how the departments are, are meant to operate. But let's go to the fact that you decided to go in and sort of bat for the. For, for the voiceless, shall I say, and what did you expect and what did you find? 
Well, you know, you, you go in expecting very much what how private sector operates. Um, you know, if you need to fix a pipe, you go in, you get a contractor, you fix the pipe, and, you know, you move on. But, you know, local government, and I suppose all spheres of government, are, are basically mandated to follow legislation, which has become so convoluted over time in order to prevent corruption that it actually slows down processes, but it also facilitates corruption mm. within the administration. And it makes it very hard for, for, you know, good politicians to perform oversight because mm. at every, you know, t uh, avenue you're hit with, no, you're interfering. No, you're not allowed to be involved in this process. So you actually can't perform proper oversight unless you, you try and, you know, push the issue or find the loopholes, et cetera, mm. particularly on procurements. And that's where the issues in local government sit because you're mandated by the Municipal Finance Management Act to follow a specific process. You mm. have to get quotes. You have to have panels. Um, and these things take months. Mm. You have, you know, uh, an adjudication committee that basically sits on all procurements. And half the time they don't sit. So this stuff just rolls over and, you know, all departments, entities have to follow this process and, I wasn't expecting that sort of extreme delay in just getting a simple tap replaced or, mm. you know, things like that. Um, but it really is. And, and you bogged down by legislation. It's, mm. it's unfortunate. Mm. And I know that, you know, the intent was to make things more transparent, but I found that they've actually done the opposite. Mm. Now, I, I, I wondered about that because you have a situation where we have a sense that the South Africa at every level is being bound up by red tape. Mm. And, and yet, that red tape doesn't seem to get in the way or confine the ability, um, to, or perhaps it, it, it aggravates because it's so opaque and, and so complex, um, the extraordinary level of corruption we have in this society. Yeah, well, look, it's, it's scary. I mean, I, I made a comment once and I said, well, you know, why doesn't the adjudication committee sit in a glass box that is filmed, have mm. a YouTube channel? Everybody mm. can see what they're doing. And, and everybody looked at me like, you know, I was kind of crazy. And I said, well, nobody's interfering. They're mm. just watching. Mm. And surely you should be able to watch proceedings. Surely that wouldn't, you know, would mm. make it more transparent. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I do think the red tape, it, it was, I think the intentions originally in some cases were, were good. Mm -hmm. um, but it's allowed for corruption to happen mm. undercover, and it doesn't matter which government you put in. Mm. You know, the same things are happening within the administration, and you're mm. not changing those people unless, of course, you are able to oversee what they're doing properly mm. and are able to take action in that respect. Mm. So, what have you found? You've had you've been you've had to be faced with in being the councillor representing a ward um, full of people in. 2023 in particular, when we are facing so many challenges that people are on a sort of knife's edge? Well, you know, if I can take you to our code of conduct, and this is where we have our issue, you know, there's a section called intervention in the administration, and councillors essentially represent their residents that mm -hmm. they are elected to represent. They don't actually represent the city entities or departments. Right. They are not responsible for service delivery directly, and this is where the confusion comes from, and I understand it completely. Um, because people don't like the system. Mm. You know, your council is elected to represent you, therefore they should be able to get you service delivery. Mm. But the system doesn't work like that, so we have to work around it. Um, and we them. So in terms of our, our code of conduct, we are not allowed to give instructions to any employee in the council. Okay. Um, we also can't interfere in any management or administration of any department or um, entity unless council is given that mandate. 
Um, and we cannot encourage or participate in conduct which would basically contribute to bringing the council into disrepute or maladministration, etc. So a lot of times, you know, people will ask us to join their protests. That mm. becomes a little bit, a little bit of a, a blurred line. Mm. Um, so we have to rely on the escalation systems or the the sort of business plans that the entities and departments have. And it, it's not really the best methodology. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, you know, if I'm a council and I represent 40,000 res- residents, regardless of my political party, I'm elected to represent a board, yeah. all of those people, whether they vote, they don't vote, or whatever the case may be. Um, and in essence, that that voice should be dominant when you're dealing with you know, entities and, and departments, and it's not. Mm. Um, so we fight exceptionally hard, and we fight against, you know, mechanisms, you know, for example, city power is probably the hardest one we're, we're battling with at the moment, um, where we're saying, look, it, it doesn't really help you to post a random update on social media that doesn't say anything. Mm. And as a counselor, mm. we also don't know any more than what you've posted there. Mm. Mm. And our residents are crying to us, what do we do? Do mm. we give them the depot manager's number? Do you want to be inundated with like the 18 wards in Region C um, exactly. phoning you directly? Um, or do you want to give us proper information and then we can, you know, communicate with our, our residents? And it makes our job very difficult because our job is actually to develop policy mm. and to give input into council, which would change processes. Mm. We don't have time for that. I can tell you, I mean, I've been working on one issue for the whole week because mm. every five minutes it's a power outage I mm. have to deal with. And it's not one person that calls. It's like 200 people. That mm. call. Um, so you, you get stopped from doing your actual job. Mm. But that information we get from the entities is also important for us to motivate when it comes to budget. So if I know that there is a problematic, you know, cable mm, in my ward, mm, and I'll take yeah. the one in, in Caleb Finn's ward, which is coming from nursery substation to William Nichols switching station, that cable needed to be replaced years ago. Yeah, It's been joined yeah. so many times due to faults that it's actually a danger. But without that information of knowing it, and that's why sometimes we go on site, we're actually not allowed to go on site because we're not trained electricians mm. and it's there's safety rules, but sometimes we do for the sake of, you know, pulling information. Mm. And we need to know that so that we can go to council and say, listen, it is urgent that this cable is replaced. But if city power is not communicating with us on that, then it, it becomes problematic. Mm. And our residents expect that we know these things. They do. Mm. And, and rightfully so. Is there any, I'm just thinking, because before I get onto the, the, the sort of extraordinary number of calls you get, is there any, you've got obviously two problems. One is your dealings with the, uh, with the various departments of the city council, um, which by the sound of it rely largely on your relationships with people at uh-huh. different level in different contexts. And, uh, the other is, you know, getting across to your, to, to your constituents that, um, you can deal with so much other things like, I know, I, heard, I think one of my colleagues talked about having to, some poor woman phoned up, phoned him up years ago and said, my husband's died. What do I do with his body? Um, that, you know, that, 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 there is a limit and this is how, it, this is how it can work. Yeah, because by, by, from what I've seen, the, the number of calls you get are absolutely extraordinary. Do you want to sort of go into the calls and is there any way to sort of, any way to manage them? <laughs> Look, I think we're in the age of multiple platforms. You know, 10 years ago, I, th- I suppose councillors communicated largely by phone call and probably email. Mm. Um, and even when I started in 2016, you know, email was was dominant. Mm. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the morning answering emails. Now I probably get, you know, 10 emails a week. It's it's really, 
it's inconsequential. What mm-hmm. I do get are probably close to, on average, a thousand five hundred WhatsApp messages a day. Um, and um, you know, I calculated this over time because I've been tracking it. And to be honest, I don't even take personal messages anymore because mm-hmm. I miss them. So out of you know a week, I think I had four personal messages, and I I, I was literally averaging about one, just over one and a half thousand messages. Um, then you've got you know SMS. Facebook Messenger, Twitter, um, you know, uh, what is the other one? I forget. Um, also a platform like WhatsApp. Tick, uh, there's TikTok um, and there's Instagram. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm yeah. not a great uh, <laughs> social <laughs> media person myself. And Telegram, yeah. Yeah. And, so and everybody all... has their preference. Um, and they expect you to be on all of them, which is, is not always easy. But mm. I think WhatsApp is probably your, your most used at mm. the moment mm. and what becomes very difficult is you know for example when an issue just happens then everybody wants to know what's going on and, mm. and it's almost impossible i don't even think the entity knows what's going on because it's just been logged or it's just happened yeah. and they need time to be able to go and investigate and see what's going on mm. but you're unable to actually get that message across to the depot because you have to keep answering your phone and if you don't answer your phone then people start getting irate. Mm, mm. Um, and I do understand it's, you know, we're very frustrated and I've seen it since stage six started with load shedding. People are very, um, they are unable to cope with even an extra hour of an mm, outage before mm. they kind of be, you know, calm and patient and say, okay, the power's gone out. You know, if it, you know, we'll let you mm, know in four mm. hours if it's still not back on. Mm. Now there's no patience mm. and, and, you know, you can understand why. Mm. I mean, I myself live through it. Um, what becomes difficult is we are also affected by signal issues. Yeah, uh, last night, for example, I couldn't get anything out for about an hour and a half. Nothing was going out. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, this morning I had, I had two residents who were phoning me between half past two and, and somewhere close to four o'clock this morning. And, you know, it, it just becomes almost like a, you become a call center. Mm, mm. And the issue with that is, in the last two weeks, I've had major outages in my ward, and I think some other councils have probably had it worse. There, there are wards which are susceptible to, to power outages due to their network, um, particularly those on the boundaries of Joburg where the network is quite old, etc. Mm. But I've had to delay two operations with social development um, because I couldn't get to them. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, we needed to send through sort of, you know, correspondence to. CEOs on, on various recommendations that we've made that is also slightly delayed because it, it takes time and sort of energy and brain power to put all of that together, which is really things that will help solve the problem. Mm. What we're doing at the moment is we're dealing, you know, with escalations, which is technically the responsibility of a stakeholder of, of an entity. And, you know, then your councils are actually not affecting change for their residents because mm. they're purely just sitting forwarding messages mm. and mm. hoping to get information. Um, and I try and, you know, kind of get this across to residents that I'm, you know, we're not ignoring you. We do escalate, mm. but we cannot sit on our phone almost like providing updates minute by minute. Mm. Um, and, and when you have an outage in your ward, I mean, we all have several groups. I think, uh, Councillor Stiankamp, who's in Ward 134, he has nine resident groups. Oof. Um, and various outages happen in various sections. And, and it's almost like, I don't know, sometimes the, the universe hates you. So you'll have a five-day outage that finishes in Constantia Cliff, and five minutes before that's on, another outage hits you in another area. Mm. So it's almost like you just rinse and repeat. Mm. Yeah, if, yeah, if um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's difficult. Um, and, but I understand from the residents' perspective because they have no other 
mechanism mm. to contact the city. It's very difficult, even mm. as councillors. Um, as you said, we, we forge relationships, and that's how we get inside information. Um, I've given up on, you know, things like call centres, et cetera. Mm. Um, you know, we go directly inside, and, and that's how they feel. Even issues on, I mean, during COVID, um, you know, we were dealing with national issues that we had actually no information on because national governments and provincial government don't communicate with councillors. They mm. should, mm. but they don't tell us about their programs mm. or why they've put in legislation. And we then have to run to our counterparts in national or go and source information. And, and we almost become, I, I feel like a Google search engine sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> my. Fun, oh things know. have amounted to that. <laughs> Yeah. Look, you learn a lot. I mean, it, it does help. Um, and engaging with residents is, is really eye-opening because you, you're able to get an overall view of what your community wants. But mm. I would like better mechanisms, and that's what we're pushing for in council, to be able to relay those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see time and time again, governments has these priority areas, and you always wonder, well, where did they get them from? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I essentially need to take those from the councillors and their input into council and formulate a plan around, you know, that public participation and that input. I w- wanted to ask you, and uh, I'll ask the question and then we can examine it after the break, um, and that is really the the role of the political parties that, that you represent at council level. And in other words, the, the, the area that we get to see very, very vividly on our TV screens um, and generally do not look upon very kindly. Um, so the question is, you know, what could they or should they be doing for you? We'll get, let's uh, let's look at that after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Leah, not my guest. Ward councillor uh, has been uh, explaining in some detail uh, the the rigours of uh, representing wards of constituents in in Johannesburg, and I was asking the, about the issue of what role, what do the the political parties who they who they represent in council actually do for them, or don't do for them, or should do for them. Thanks. Yeah, look, you know, I think I'm very fortunate. I, I do belong, belong to a party, um, you know, being the Democratic Alliance that, that does have a lot of resources available to councillors. Um, you know, we, we are rigorously interviewed before we, we come into council. It's, it's quite hectic, actually. Um, I don't think I've gone through interviews like that before. We have sat in front of panels and, you know, made to do assessments and all sorts of things. Um, so that we are, you know, capable of, of entering into such an arena because it, it's not a nine to five job. You know, mm-hmm. it, it does sometimes require seven days a week. It's sometimes after hours. Sometimes you start at five. Sometimes you start at 10. So we, we do get a lot of support, you know, in that respect. Is it perfect? No, I'm sure there's many, you know, places to, to improve. Um, I don't think a lot of other parties are, are as fortunate. But, you know, we, we do have our, our, our issues um, in that, you know, I mean, we only hold uh, 26% within the, the council. The council's got 270 seats. Uh, we have 71. Um, and any council decision is decided by a majority. It's either a, a simple majority, which is, you know, the, 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 the sort of 51% of the votes there, or it's a... a, a a majority of 50 plus one of the seats in council, which is 136 seats. So it becomes difficult, and that's the, the problems we're experiencing in Joburg at the moment is the composition of council and how voting is done and, and you know, how you can actually get your your residents, you know, wants, needs, and plans across into council. Um, because, you know, 
you you have the situation that's kind of always turning on itself all the time. And I don't think that can be solved except, you know, and I'll, I'll play this card because I firmly believe it, is, you know, I did a bit of a calculation on the 2021 election. And if you look at the number of eligible voters in Joburg, 69% of eligible voters didn't go to the polls. Mm. So only 31% of Joburg actually voted, of those that were of age and could do so. Mm. Um, you know, and, and for me, that's that's not a, a democratic decision. That's mm. not the majority of Joburg residents saying this is how we want to be governed. And I, I, I do personally believe that that's why we find ourselves in a situation where it seems mismatched mm. to what communities want and what they're actually getting at the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, given exactly that failure to vote, um, I had a colleague on last week where we talked about we've, we've actually launched a, a pledge to vote campaign in, in a positive way, literally to get people just to pledge that they will uh, register and vote. You know, we're not, we're not trying to do anything more, but it's exactly that aspect that in fact, the, the country is represented by people who are, who are voted in by, by a distinct minority of, uh, of eligible voters. And then, of course, there's a question that I think would be, you know, close to the heart of many people, and that is, how do you cope with the seven days a week, seven, 24-7, and your families? Um, look, I'm, I'm a bit fortunate. My kids are a bit older. Um, mm-hmm. They're 14 and 17, so at the moment they prefer their friends over their, their parents. parents so. <laughs> Did they done um, that? Yes. You know, yeah, but it does get difficult, and particularly, you know, with my daughter, uh, you know, it's, it's always a case of you never have time or you're always busy because a lot of what we do happens at night or on mm, weekends. Mm. Um, so there's many nights I come home after they're already in bed, and, you know, um, so she she does lose it a little bit all the time. Um, but, you know, they are supportive. Mm. I think they, they do understand mm. to to an extent. You know, everybody's human. Um, and it does – you know, it does make it a bit difficult to have a, a, a personal life. But, mm. you know, for me, I, I prefer having – I like the the unknown. I'm not a, you know, nine to five, sit in an office person. Mm. Um, so I do like the versatility of the job and the fact that there's always different things going on. I wish I could do things quicker. Mm. Um, and I certainly wish that, you know, it didn't take like – you know, sometimes you'll start on something and, you know – You'll five years later, once you've left award, you know, it's only being implemented. So mm-hmm. that, that delay on, on seeing the fruits of what you're doing is, is difficult. Um, and yeah, so it's, it, it is hard. Um, I think if we were, if we were capacitated in order to not predominantly act as call centers within the, the, the city, um, we could get a lot more done as counselors, mm-hmm. truly. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues. I'm dealing with national issues with Rand Water where I've got roads collapsing. Mm. Um, you know, we've got, um, issues with, with social development and JMPD where we're trying to help homeless people living under bridges and, and stuff like that where we're trying to actual, actually effect changes within our wards. Mm. Um, we would get a lot more of that done because mm. we'd have more time to focus on it. Um, so I do feel that the, the city could do better in its communications and I think honesty. It seems to me like, you know, the city is very scared um, or entities are very scared of being honest with residents sometimes about issues. So they give you this sort of like, you know, the power's tripped. Instead of telling you, look, you know, there was a, a cable that overheated over mm. here. It's affecting this mini substation. It's going to take us maybe 20 hours to fix it if we have the materials. People deal better with that. Mm. I, I find as a counselor, when I'm honest with them, even if I tell them, look, you're not going to get power in three days, then mm. oh, but, oh, but we know on the third day, that we know. Mm. 
um, then at yeah. least we can plan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult like that. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when you deal with frustrated people. Um, because they, they can't see past the frustration. They'll see it later. Yeah. So a lot of the time yeah. you'll get a call from somebody a week down the line going, you know, I'm really sorry or, you know, thanks so much for helping. But mm. at the time it affects them so drastically that they can't see past that. And, and I think the one thing you've got to do is never take it personally. Mm. Mm. Um, because it's not about you. Mm. It, it's, it's really about, you know, now and, and, for some of them, it's critical. It's critical issues that are affected their ability to earn money, their ability mm. to take care of their kids or, you know, their, their family's health care or something that's, you know, driving that anger. And sometimes it's difficult when you, when it gets piled on you, you can lose it. And I think, you know, some counselors do. Um, but again, that's also not personal. <laughs> um, I think we all reach a breaking point. Sure. <laughs> you wouldn't be human, etc. No, absolutely. Um, so uh, weighed, weighed up one way or the other, um, do you feel like you're overall achieving more than you're not? I think so. You know, when you have, when you have good people who, who you know, and I, I don't want to like, you know, elevate my own um, ego, but, you know, when you, when you are there for the right reasons, I mean, you know, and, and you're there to make change, um, you, you do affect change. Um, you know, so what worries me is that over time, what we'll see is good people giving up yeah. and good counselors leaving. And that doesn't leave us with very much. And then residents are going to be, you know, in, in a serious amount of trouble. So that does trouble me. I've seen mm. quite a few, a number of counselors um, from various parties who've just gone, I can't. Yeah. Um, and they've gone on to pursue, you know, private sector things or, whatever it is that they, they're doing now. Um, mm. and, and that's a loss because mm. those were people that were actually making contributions and, and you know, giving input into, into policies that actually changed processes over time. And, and you don't see it immediately, but there is good. And I think, you know, we, we need to fight to keep that within the, within the municipality. Mm. Now, I, I have to agree with you with the earlier point about honesty. Um, people may be annoyed by whatever you say about a situation. Um, but if you know what you're dealing with, if you know honestly what you're dealing with, it actually becomes mm. easier to deal with it. Leonor, thank you very, very much for your insight um, and the benefit of your experience. And uh, you are very likely to hear from me again in the future. No, absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thank you.